Morning, everybody. Morning. Good to be with you, friends. Yeah, hey, uh, curiosity, how many people have participated in the Seder dinner before? Passover Seder? Anybody? Handful? Um, man, if you have not done this, you've got to do this. It is, it is a really cool experience. Just It brings so much richness to our practice of communion. As you see, just kind of everything that's gone into that throughout Jewish history and the way that, that the Jewish Passover uh, really points to Jesus, it is, uh, it's good stuff. So sign up for that. Uh, shout out this morning to uh, my wife, Samantha, and the others who have opened a toddler room. So uh, it's so interesting in the life of the church. We go through these waves of children, and you have kind of these bubbles of kids of different ages that move through, and uh, lo and behold, we've got enough toddlers again to open a toddler class. So thank you, those who have gotten that going. It goes live this morning, which is super fun, and uh, yeah. Hey, so our series is How to Grow. This is Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People, and uh, you'll remember from last week, perhaps. So a spiritual discipline is any practice that brings you into the presence of Jesus for the purpose of becoming like him, right? So some ones that maybe we're more familiar with are things like prayer and, and being in church and coming to the scriptures and whatnot. And we're, we're looking at some different practices as we go through Lent and things for your rule of life, your plan for your spiritual formation. Last week, we went through Sabbath, uh, the practice of Sabbath-keeping, and uh, we'll be jumping into another one this morning. Um, one thing that we see in the life and teachings of Jesus is when it comes to these spiritual practices, he actually practiced them. There is a rhythm in the life of Jesus. There is a pattern of engagement with the Father for the purpose of growth. And, uh, uh, and we'll see in some of the ways that that the Father meets Jesus in his practice of the disciplines himself. But uh, I, I want to point out sort of that consistency. Because I think one of the issues that we run into when it comes to spiritual growth, and one of the things that sometimes trips us up is we get frustrated because we don't understand the way that spiritual growth actually works. Sometimes we come to it and we're looking at it wrong, and so we don't recognize what is actually going on. We, it goes like this. Sometimes we'll, we'll come and we'll practice a given spiritual discipline a few times. And then we kind of take a, a look around and we go, well, nothing's happening. And we move on, right? And we're like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll try something else. Or, or maybe this doesn't work for me. Or maybe I'm not a very spiritual person or whatever the case might be. But what we have to know is that whether you are experiencing the growth at that moment or not, Growth is happening. If you are showing up and you are spending time in the presence of Jesus, something is happening there. It's a little bit like, like the seed that goes into the ground, right? And the seed is there. It's in the soil. And there's growth happening long before those first shoots start to come up out of the ground. And long before there's a decent stalk that's there, and long before there's leaves that are on that stalk, and long before there's fruit, there is growth happening. And spiritual formation is like that. Before you even know the growth is going on, it is going on. And so we need to practice these with this in mind, or to put it another way. So 
we are a microwave people. <laughs> we want our stuff done and we want it done now. And in fact, if we're being entirely honest, if I'm being entirely honest, when I'm requesting that my microwave do something that takes more than like 45 seconds, I can grow a little frustrated, <laughs> right? If it takes longer to, you know, than to heat a cup of coffee, if I'm trying to bake a potato or something because I didn't plan well and so I'm not using the oven, and it takes like all of like, oh, five minutes, I can get frustrated. We are a microwave people. Spiritual formation is not a microwave process. It's slow cooker. It's crock pot. It is a, a process uh, where slowly, as we marinate in God's presence, we are changed. And if you really think about it, it's, it's good that it happens this way, right? You can cook a pot roast in the microwave, and it will taste like a shoe. <laughs> or you can put it in the crock pot, and slowly, over the course of a day, the things start to simmer together and they're cooking and the aroma is filling the house and it's, it's fall apart fork tender by the time it's ready to eat. I just compared all of you to a pot roast. I'm realizing that. But this is how we grow. This is how spiritual formation happens. And I, I, wanna, uh, I want us to have that in the background as we're, we're talking about this today. Um, today... We're looking at the spiritual discipline of solitude and silence. The spiritual discipline of solitude and silence. We'll define it this way. Solitude and silence is a period of withdrawing from others for the purpose of being present to God. It is intentionally creating space where we are just with God alone. And the other things, the other people, the other distractions are put aside so that our full attention can be given to God. Typically, this will mean uh, prayer, and it will mean taking in the scriptures in some way. And it's doing so in a place that's away from other people and away from our screens and away from music and away from other stimuli. Uh, this can look like a, like a daily quiet time, as well as perhaps longer times of reflection and prayer. This can look like you sitting in a chair and a cup of coffee and spending time with God doing that, or it can look like a walk around your neighborhood or a hike along a trail, or it can look like going on a, a spiritual retreat. Uh, but uh, solitude and silence. I would contend this is among the most important spiritual practices that we can have in our toolbox. This is is a huge one for us. Uh, Henry Nouwen, one of the great spiritual writers of the 20th century, he says, it is nearly impossible to have a spiritual life without solitude. Uh, Dallas Willard, uh, another uh, figure that's been very important for me and I know for many of us, for him this is one of his big three. He says, you've You've got to have this in your life if you're going to grow spiritually. Uh, I know for myself personally, uh, as difficult as it would be to sort of ferret out what helps me grow most and rank them or whatever, but I I think if I was forced to choose, this would probably be the most important spiritual discipline that I've experienced in my years as as a Christian, uh, is practicing 
solitude, and silence. Uh, it's important, and it's also it's super neglected. Uh, we live in a noisy world, and we are busy, busy people. And this takes time, and it takes effort. It won't just happen. We have to be intentional about it, so it's, it's difficult in that way. And, frankly, we avoid it. Uh, and for a few reasons, but just to highlight one, because I know it, it comes up a lot, I think for probably most of us, maybe all of us. When we are alone and quiet, we start to discover things about ourselves that we don't like. A lot of us avoid solitude because it forces us to face things that maybe we don't want to face. So there's a challenge in this. But there's a great opportunity too. Because solitude is that space where when we're present to God in a concerted way, he begins to really work on those things that maybe we don't want to face. So here's where we're going this morning. Uh, We're going to look at this particular discipline in the life of Jesus. See how he thought about this, see how he practiced it, and then we'll turn to ourselves and just ask the question, what does it look like for us as 21st century people to make this part of our rule of life as well? So let's pray and we'll look at the scriptures together. Father God, we come this morning open and vulnerable, admitting that sometimes the silence scares us, and it can be difficult for us to pull ourselves away from the screens and other people and all the distractions and all the things that we use to numb ourselves. But God, we confess that we want more of you. We want to grow. We want to become more like Christ. And so, God, we pray that you would be working that in us. Cause us to be a people who are intentional about our growth. And, God, would you teach us this morning as we look to you and your example and your words as, as we worship together this morning. We thank you, God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to start in the Gospel of Mark, the very first chapter. And this is, this is one of the very first things that Mark, in his account, wants us to know about Jesus. It's Jesus' regular practice of solitude with the Father. Uh, Mark 1, starting verse 29. It says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. And then we find this, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, 
Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So in Mark's gospel in particular, this is really the start to Jesus' ministry. This, this event, uh, the healing of Simon's mother-in-law, and then uh, subsequently the, the whole town showing up at the door and looking to be healed and ministered to as well. Uh, this is where Jesus' ministry really starts in Mark's gospel. And the, the key thing here in this story that we want to note this morning is that the next morning, people are lined up again. Right? They go late into the night. All these people who are there waiting for Jesus to do something for them. And Jesus, when you know, doors open in the morning, Jesus is nowhere to be found. And the disciples find him, finally, that he has gone off by himself to be with the Father. Right? And the disciples, they're interesting in this. right? Because they're stoked. They're like, hey, we've arrived, we've done it. Right? Jesus' name is out there. We've got all these people coming. You know, there's, there's this base of people. Let's, this, let's set it up. Headquarters right here. They're putting out velvet ropes. and all, you know, They've got all these plans. They're ready. Come and see Jesus. This is, this is how it's going to happen. But Jesus, in his time with the Father, he, he received direction. And he, he knew, no, no, no. This isn't the move. I'm not to stay here. We're to keep moving. The Father has something different for me. And I'm so struck by that. Because I I don't know about you, but for me, it's so easy to just kind of take on the opinion of the crowd, whatever that is, and say, oh, well, surely this is, you know, this is what's supposed to be happening. We're in in the church, you know, oh, there's fruit. So, okay, let's just keep going down that path. Jesus is so connected to the Father, he's able to say, no. Even though this is a really good thing, I need to be doing this thing over here. What the Father has is better yet. And he finds that in this place of solitude, being quiet before the Father. And this episode, this begins a pattern in the life of Jesus that we see throughout the Gospels. All four Gospels attest to this in different ways. Jesus has this pattern of engagement and withdrawal. Uh, of, of leaning into ministry, leaning into what God has for him there, and then pulling back and having solitary time with the Father as well. Uh, we see this in Jesus' life. Before intense times of ministry, he will get away, and he will take a time of solitude with the Father. After intense times of ministry, same thing. He'll get away and be alone with the Father and recharge for the next thing that comes. When Jesus needed guidance or strength or comfort, he would seek out the Father in solitude. Uh, Our men's group this morning, we were talking about grief, enlarging our souls through grief and loss, right? There's something no one enjoys doing. But how important this is for us. With Jesus, part of his practice for engaging with grief in his life was solitary time with the Father. Uh, let me show you another one here, and this, this is grief-related. This is right after Jesus had heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been murdered. Matthew 14, it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately 
to a solitary place. Not long after this, we have the the feeding of the 5,000, right? This huge, huge event in the life of Jesus. And this is how that episode concludes. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Now, note this. This is really interesting. So Jesus, in this instance, he's not just taking solitude himself, but he's also saying to the disciples, you need this too. You need to go and get away. And then he does this himself. And notice, there's still a crowd there. He has to dismiss the crowd. Right? This kind of ties back to what we were saying in Sabbath keeping last week as well. Uh, but these things are not contingent. These disciplines, these practices are not contingent on everything being done. Because at no time ever will everything be done. There's still a crowd, but Jesus says, okay, it's time for me to go into the Father's presence and to be with him. So he sends them away. Uh, another episode here. So this is, um, Jesus had all these followers, and he needed to choose 12 from among them that would become the 12 apostles. So this is in Luke 6. It says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, who he also designated apostles. And it names the 12 here. Uh, So the whole night. Jesus takes an entire night in prayer before making this decision, right? And I think sometimes we think, well, Jesus just knew what to do. He was Jesus. He's the divine son. He was. He's also fully human. And when it came time to make important decisions, he went into solitude and sought out the Father for guidance, for wisdom, for strength. Just a couple more. Matthew 6, when Jesus is teaching others how to pray. This is the prelude to what we call the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus prayed with others. He prayed in front of others. But isn't it instructive that when he is giving this model prayer, he kind of sets this as the default He says, when you pray, this is the norm. Go to a place that's quiet by yourself and put your attention fully on the Father. Solitude. Solitude and silence. One more, and this is Luke's summary of Jesus' practice. It says, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We get the picture here? Frequently, often, regularly, Jesus pursued periods of solitude and silence to be with the Father. This, this is a, a habit in his life. This is an ongoing practice, right? We're, we're talking here about crockpot spirituality. We're talking about taking time to simmer, taking time to be still and silent in the presence of God.
when we take this on, friends, as a regular practice, we will be changed. We will be changed. Now, why is this? What is it about the practice of solitude that Jesus finds so crucial for his own life and for ministry? Uh, And, of course, we're not just talking about him. Uh, This practice comes up in both Old Testament and New Testament. It comes up as you read through church history and the spiritual masters through the ages. Those who have followed Christ from the first century to the present talk about how critical this spiritual discipline is for us. Why is that? Well, maybe I'll sum it up for us this way. It's another line from Henry Nouwen. Uh, I've always appreciated Henry Nouwen calls solitude the furnace of transformation. The furnace of transformation. I love that. Uh, In other words, this is the space where when we bring ourselves into God's presence in this way, it creates an opening for God and his grace and his kindness to burn away those things in us that don't look like Jesus. There's a process of purification that happens in us uh, that it's really hard to replicate outside of silence and solitude, where things are surfaced, things are exposed, and we bring ourselves into a place where God is able to deal with us. If, and maybe this isn't you, but let's just say for fun, hypothetically, or this is for a friend, just like write this down for a friend. Maybe you've got areas in your life that are just really stubborn. You're like, man, I so wish I wasn't this way. Or so wish I wasn't that way. I wish that this wasn't such a struggle. Listen, those tough-to-reach spaces, ordinarily, where God really gets to those, is in solitude. Things are surfaced, and God in his grace brings things up that he can work on those with us, and we can become more and more like Christ in the process. And there's a depth to that, friends. Like on on the surface, we might think, okay, this sounds like a great practice for me to, to recharge you know, and, and get strong and go out there and get back into the rat race and just go for it. And in one sense, that's true. That is one thing that happens in solitude. But that's just the beginning. Solitude is also the place where you discover maybe I don't need to be a rat in the race in the first place. Maybe there are ways of me living in the world and being present to God where it doesn't have to look like that at all. Maybe we discover, maybe I don't have to fight so desperately to amass more and more stuff. Maybe I don't have to work so hard to hold on to my youth. Maybe I don't have to be dependent for my happiness on who does and doesn't win the White House. Maybe I don't have to have my level of anxiety determined by my win-loss record day in, day out. That kind of change... That happens in solitude. As we spend time consistently in the presence of the Father, we withdraw from all the noise and all the stuff, and we put ourselves in a space where Jesus can do his work in us. Are are you tracking? Does this sound attractive, I hope? Uh, Dallas Willard 
he, he says this, and take this in. He says, it's a profound truth about human beings that our first area of freedom concerns where we will place our mind. Until solitude and silence have had their effects, our minds will very likely continue to be focused on the wrong things or on good things, but in an anxious attitude of trying to dominate them. But as we, through relocating our bodies into solitude, escape and change the inputs that have constantly controlled our thoughts and feelings, we'll have additional freedom to place our minds fully upon the great God, his kingdom, and its peace and strength. This, in turn, will transform our emotional state and thereby the very condition of our body. Most of those around us will sense that and begin to act differently themselves. The social context will change for the better, and what we have to respond to will be much more in the spirit of the kingdom. He says, I have observed this on many occasions. Do you see how this practice kind of hits all our buckets? Remember back to week one, right? The emotional and the spiritual. As, As we are transformed in Christ's presence, we become more emotionally fulfilled and stable people. And then our bodies change too. Right? You, you, do you, like me, do you carry your attention like in your traps? You carry them here in your shoulders and you're bunched up. And at the end of the day, you're like, why am I so tired through here? Why am I so tight? Our bodies actually change as we practice this. And as he points out here, our social context too. When you enter into a conversation or a relationship as a different person, it changes the dynamic of that relationship. This hits every area in our lives friends. Uh, there's, a, there's a story that's been floating around the church for about 18 centuries. It's kind of an old one. Uh, there were these monks called the Desert Fathers, this period in church history where they would, uh, you would have these folks who went and lived as hermits basically in the desert. And one of these Desert Fathers, he's, he's there in his shack and this, this businessman from the city comes to him because he's so anxious and he's so bound up and he's just worn out by his work. Sounds like people today, yeah? But he comes to this this desert father and he's telling him all this and saying, I I don't know what to do. My life is such a mess and I'm so stressed and my relationships and all this. And the desert father listens to him and he he says, bring me that, that basin and that bucket of water. And then he has the businessman watch him as he pours the water into the basin. And they're looking down into the basin as the water's being poured into it. And at first the water's sloshing up on the sides and it's all, all, you know, rushing around. And you can picture this how it works as water's being poured in. And then it starts to calm a little bit. And the sloshing gives way to sort of small waves in the basin. And then after a minute, the small waves are kind of little ripples, and then finally it's just kind of a shimmer on the top of the water until finally the water's totally still and the monk and the businessmen are looking down into the water and they see their their, uh, faces reflected back up at them. And the monk says to him, this is what your life is like. It's so turbulent. It's always moving. And you have to be still long enough 
that as you look into your Father's face, you can see his reflection there as well as your own. But it only happens as you're still. You have to create space to let the waters settle. And picture this too. Picture yourself over the basin. And you know this is true, but anything that we would try to do to get the water to settle more quickly only makes it worse, right? It's not like a thing of sand where you can shake it and it will settle into place. The more that you agitate the water, the more you have to wait until it's still. The spiritual discipline of solitude and silence is about letting the water get still. And in that space, we're able to invite God to do some beautiful things in us that he's wanting to do. Uh, The beauty of this practice, friends, is that it is simplicity itself. It is nothing more than getting yourself to a place of quiet and putting your attention on God in prayer and scripture. Uh, Here's what it looks like for me, and then I'll I'll give a couple thoughts about things we can do as we practice this. But uh, for me, there's, there's kind of a daily rhythm of this, and there's a monthly rhythm of this, and there's a yearly rhythm of this. So uh, daily, uh, part of my practice for many, many years now uh, is, uh, is getting up a little bit before the family, uh, having a hot cup of coffee, a particular chair that I like to sit in, and I have my Bible and my journal, and spending some time being quiet in God's presence. It's not a tremendous ton of time. Uh, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes if I slept beautifully the night before. But it's a a daily check-in of quiet and silence to be in the presence of the Father, just to be there, to meditate on the scriptures, to be present, and to let God do whatever it is he's wanting to do in that time. It's a daily time to let the water get still. Uh, Monthly, I have a a monthly rhythm in this as well where on the first day of the month a reminder pops up on my calendar to remind me to schedule my day of solitude. And I'll take a day, or it's usually it's like half to two-thirds day, Um, but I'll take a day, I look at my calendar and say, okay, what's the best week this coming month for me to schedule a day where I can I can get away and just be quiet and take a longer time. And it's it basically looks like the morning time, but there's more of it. Right? I'll, uh, I'll throw a beach chair in the car and I go down to Torrance Beach or I go to one of our local parks or if I'm feeling really spicy, I'll drive to the local mountains. But just go somewhere quiet and be still and just take time to be in the presence of God. Uh, the longer times take some practice. Right? When I first started doing this 25 years ago, it was really, really hard to take that much time in solitude. Uh, now, like my soul craves it. Like that reminder comes up in the calendar and I'm like, oh, thank the Lord. When, when can I do this? I need it, right? Um, and then uh, yearly, I'll do a, like a 24 to 30 hour prayer retreat, solo retreat. There's a camp that we take our youth to called Alpine that's really gracious with pastors especially and you know they'll let you come up for free during the week, so... I'll go and stay up there. Uh, I say yearly, but I'm not as good at the yearly. It's almost yearly when I'm really on my game. But um, 
That's, that's kind of what it looks like for me. Uh, the longer times of solitude, you know, I'll take a walk or I'll go running. I pray well when I run. Um, that's sort of uh, a thing, but that's the rhythm. Now, now remember, this is crockpot, right? It, it's important to understand. For me, at least, nine times out of ten, nothing spectacular happens in these times. It's really, really ordinary. But God's working. And as I look back over time, I'm able to see, wow, this thing that was so difficult, God helped me get through that. This personality trait, this stubborn habit, God helped me work through that over time. And those times are primarily these times of solitude. Right? This is a slow drip, friends. It is the drip, drip, drip of the Holy Spirit, of that drop of water, as it were, falling on the stony soil of my heart and over time changing it and making it soft and pliable. Here's a, here's a, a couple thoughts, and we'll end with these. Um, but as you think about making this part of your rule of life, What might this look like? A couple thoughts here. One is do what you can, not what you think you should. Uh, Let me explain this. Do what you can, not what you think you should. Uh, As a pastor, an experience I've had, oh, about a ton of times, is somebody who who is just like, okay, I need to get serious about my life in God. And they come and they're like, I'm going to spend an hour a day in prayer. And my first question will be, well, that sounds awesome. How much time do you currently spend in prayer? And the answer usually is, well, zero. And my response is, why don't you start with five minutes? Start with five minutes of prayer a day and see how that goes. And if it goes really well, why don't you move to 10 minutes of prayer? And, and over time, some of these people do get to a point where they're praying for an hour a day or more. But... When we start with, oh, this is what I think I should do. This is what a really spiritual person would do. And then we try to do that, we end up kind of short-circuiting the process. Start with where you are. Where you are is great. God already knows you're there. He won't be surprised or disappointed by where you're at because he already knows. Start where you are. And build in some pockets of time to be quiet in the presence of the Father. Uh, Number two is schedule it. Put it on the calendar. I know we said this last week about Sabbath keeping too. Put it on your calendar. Uh, The calendar is not magic, but it kind of is. To put it the other way, if you do not plan for these times, these times will not happen. It has to be a regular part of your life, hopefully a regular part of your day. When is the best time? Ask yourself, when is the best time for me to take some minutes to be alone with God? Right? For me, as I mentioned, it's, it's that first thing in the morning before all the busyness crashes in. That is a key time for me. If I don't do it then, it's really hard for me to circle back and insert it into the day later. But I know for some of you, it's different. For some of you, the best time is your lunch break. That is the best time for you to stop and just shut everything out and, and to find some quiet with God. For others, 
It's those breaks during your workday. It's, it's taking a 10, 15-minute walk a couple times a day during your workday and using that time to pray. For others, it's your commute. It's being in your car, and that's the only quiet place in your life. And it's turning off the radio, and it's being present to God in those moments. Or maybe taking your Bible app and putting the audio Bible on. I know some of you do that as well. But find a time and write it down. Make it part of your practice. When is the best time for me to be present to God? And if there's other rhythms too, that's a daily rhythm. But if there's weekly or monthly rhythms, schedule those in too. I I know a, a couple who... Uh, they each take a Saturday morning once a month. They take turns, right, because they've got small kids, and uh, they each take two-hour block on Saturday morning once a month. And that's kind of their extra time of solitude that they help each other get. But schedule it. Uh, Number three is journal. And I say this knowing this doesn't work for everyone, and if it doesn't work for you, it's totally fine. You are not a less spiritual person if journaling is not a fruitful spiritual discipline for you. But the spirit behind this, I I think, is applicable to all. And and the way I'd frame it is this, is when you come to your time with God, come expectant that God is going to be there. And in different ways, he's going to speak to you. Right? Sometimes that's going to be you, you read a verse and you just know, oh, man, that is hitting me right where I live. I need to make a note of this. Thus the journal, right? Because you probably do the thing like I do where you'll have this profound insight where it's like, oh, God is speaking truth to me today. And by the time lunch comes, I've completely forgot until like a month later, I'm like, oh yeah, that thing, right? Make a note of it. What is God stirring in you? What is he speaking to you? How is he leading you? Make a record of that. And in that, there's something really beautiful about being able to kind of chart your progress over time as well. And look back and go, oh, yeah, I thought I would never get past that. And look what God has done. So journaling is a practice that helps us in that. And finally, is prioritize scripture. So it's it's fine to bring other things into the space too, other things you might read or some who are, I know I said like not music, but for some like uh, just having a space of worship is really key to this time. It's a good thing too. Um, or, you know, bringing a book into it. My, my current companion in my morning times is this daily C.S. Lewis reader. Shocking, I know, that I'm reading C.S. Lewis. That's, he never comes up in any of these Sundays, but um, uh, Bring other things in, but prioritize Scripture. It is in spending time in the Scripture that we learn what it is to hear God's voice because that is God's word. And there's a power there that isn't found in other things that we might give our attention to, even very good things. There's a power there. And, uh, and that will be our topic next week, is what does it mean to meditate on Scripture and how do we do that? So hold that one. We'll... We'll come back to it. Um, I want to close by reading you this testimony uh, from a a young man who began practicing solitude. Found it really difficult at first, right? The quiet was just killing him. But as he started to get comfortable with it, this is what he said. 
He says, the more I practice this discipline, the more I appreciate the strength of silence. The less I become skeptical and judgmental, the more I learn to accept the things I didn't like about others, and the more I accept those people as uniquely created in the image of God. The more I'm in solitude, the less I talk, and the fuller are words spoken when I do speak. The more I'm in solitude, the more I value others, the more I serve them in small ways, and the more I realize that God has been giving me wonderful things in life. The more I'm in solitude, the more I celebrate, and the more uh, that I find myself free of worry. I will accept and enjoy what God is continuously giving to me. I think for the first time, I'm beginning to really enjoy God. Friends, you want to grow? If you want to grow, practice the discipline of solitude and silence. Let's pray.